Hello and welcome to Killing at the Crime Cast. I'm your host Lux and this week I am on my own, no guest, and I will be talking about crimes that happened this February, as in February 2019. But first, I've got a little bit of housekeeping to do. I wanted to say thank you for the iTunes reviews, um, two of them, one from Scarlet Black and one from Victoria Bullock. 0606. Thank you so much. And also Nadia Parker for upping your pledge. That was so lovely. Thank you so much. And very exciting news. I will be attending the Chicago True Crime Podcast Festival. That's on the 13th of July. If you want to go, you should definitely go to the website and buy your tickets. Just type in Chicago True Crime Podcast Festival and it'll come up. And yeah, loads of other cool podcasts are going. I cannot wait to meet them all. So definitely come along and meet them with me. It'll be fun. I'm going on my own. (laughs) Please come make friends with me. All right. Now that that's out of the way and I have made a fool of myself in sounding very needy. I'm just going to do a quick content warning. This this episode is because it's going to be about a lot of crimes because it's just ones that happened this February. Just a general content warning. There's some yucky stuff in there. And potentially don't listen to this out loud or around children or, I don't know, if you're feeling particularly fragile. And on that note, here we go. In June of 2011, 57-year-old Sally Challen was given a life sentence for the murder of her husband with a minimum term of 22 years. Georgina Challen, who's known as Sally, met her husband Richard when she was only 15. He was 21 at the time. The couple were together for 40 years, during which Richard abused his wife physically and mentally. He belittled her, controlled what she wore and ate, and who she spent time with. He was also in control of their finances. On top of this, Richard was cheating on her. Sally knew that he was having affairs because she kept track of his comings and goings as well as his phone records. He had multiple phones, used dating sites, and Sally even caught him visiting a brothel. When she'd confront him about these things, he would gaslight her. To gaslight someone is to, quote, manipulate someone by psychological means into doubting their own sanity. Psychology Today has an article outlining 11 warning signs of gaslighting. They tell blatant lies. They deny they ever said something, even when you have proof. They use what is near and dear to you as ammunition. In the explanation of this, the article says, they attack the foundation of your being. Number four, they wear you down all the time. And we know that Richard did this because he was very critical of his wife's weight and would call her thunder thighs. Number five, they throw in positive reinforcement to confuse you. This is a calculated attempt to keep you off kilter and again to question your reality. They know confusion weakens people and they project, i.e. literally a case of he who smelt it dealt it. If, If Richard was cheating on her, he would accuse her of cheating on him. They try to align people against you, which means you won't know who to trust or who to turn to, which makes it difficult to leave the gaslighter as you believe they're all you have. And they tell you or others that you're crazy, and they tell you that everyone else is a liar. Sally and Richard's son, David, told Sky News that Richard, quote, had a mantra. He would say, you're going mad, Sally. You're making it all up. You're going mad. Her two sons told the press, that Richard had created a culture of fear and dependency. And they said, our father fed into our mother's mind the abuse she was suffering over 40 years was normal. While he forced strict restrictions on her behaviour, he himself would have numerous affairs and visit brothels. If she challenged him, he would gaslight her, make her question her sanity, and furthermore, seek to control us as sons to believe our mother was mad. 
she eventually separated from her father, the sons explain in their statement. However, a year into this separation left her too emotionally weak and dependent to survive without him. She felt she could not live apart from him, such was his control over her since a teenager. But he would only accept her back on the condition of signing a post-nuptial agreement he drew up that denied her rights to the marital home, forbade her from interrupting him or speaking to strangers. And this next quote is from Justice for Women. It was not long after this reunion with Richard that the offence took place. Sally, so utterly dependent on Richard, wanted to believe that they could be together, but his behaviour towards her was increasingly humiliating. The final straw was when he sent Sally out in the rain to get his lunch so that he could phone a woman he'd been planning to meet from a dating agency. Sally returned suspicious and challenged him, and he commanded her not to question him, so she struck him repeatedly with a hammer. She then put a tea towel... End quote. She then put a tea towel in Richard's mouth, wrapped him in old curtains and left a note on his body that read, I love you, Sally. She drove 70 miles to a cliff in Beachy Head. Chaplins coaxed her away from the cliff edge and she admitted to killing her husband. Now, as I said before, Sally was sentenced to life with a minimum of 22 years for her husband's murder. At sentencing, Judge Christopher Critchlow said to Sally, You found yourself being eaten with jealousy at his friendships with other women, which I find so utterly demeaning, firstly thinking jealousy would be her only motive, and secondly by calling his affairs friendships. It totally takes all the responsibility off him and makes her seem crazy, continuing the gaslighting Richard had started. Luckily, the conviction was appealed and the minimum term was reduced to 18 years. Then, coercive control became a criminal offence in England and Wales in December of 2015. Coercive control is a pattern of behaviour by an abuser to harm, punish or frighten their victim. On this basis, and following the campaign her sons and the Justice for Women organisation ran, Sally Challen was given a hearing, which lasted two days. During this hearing, a psychiatrist gave evidence that Sally was suffering from two mental disorders at the time of the killing and that this information was not available at the time of her trial and undermined the safety of her conviction. Mrs. Challen's murder conviction was overturned by three judges and she has been granted a retrial. So next up is a sort of debunking. So I was sent a photo of a whip that appears to be made out of a human spine by Victoria through the Killinet Facebook page. Hiya, Victoria. And I was so creeped out that I had to give it a little Google. But unfortunately, it's not real. Or maybe fortunately, I don't really know. Unfortunately for true crime lovers, I guess. So the following comes from an article by Gizmodo, published this February. The caption of the viral tweet reads, A whip made from two real human spines discovered in the basement of an abandoned house in Wyoming. The whip is actually a movie prop from the 2014 version of Hercules starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And it appears that this photo was taken to sell the prop online. If you look around, you can even find versions of the whip with a green screen layer added to the end of the lash. Where did the macabre tale about a human spine come from? It seems that the real human spine claim was first made on Reddit about eight months ago. But even then, people in the comments were debunking it for what it really was, a movie prop. End quote. So I went onto Reddit and I found the original post and I looked at all the comments I found a few gems. I thought I'd share them with you all. <clears throat> Getting hit by this must be backbreaking. It will cut you clean to the bone. It will be used by spineless people, however. It looks pretty unwieldy to me. I'd be afraid that I might throw out my back. 
it takes a lot of backbone to make this. It's hard to use too. You really have to put your back into it. What kind of backlash do you think they got for this? Have you ever been so mad that you whipped a motherfucker's back with another motherfucker's back? And then a series of comments one after each other. Spinal tap, spinal whap, spinal fap, tinal snap, tidal spap, pant style, panda slit, orange chicken, pad tie. So <laughs> that was a joy to go through. And um, I also really enjoyed all the uh, biologists and bone experts and anthropologists, etc., who were arguing amongst themselves about what kind of bones were actually used to make this. And, oh, it must have been at least three human spines. And actually, it looks a bit like a snake skeleton, blah, blah, blah. It was just very amusing to watch them all argue about something that was fake. This I have actually captioned in my notes, no arms, man stab. And if you've been paying attention, you might know what that means. So, Rory O'Connor is a 23-year-old Welsh man who swam for Wales when he was younger. In 2006, when Rory, Rory was 11, he was named Echo Campaign's Child of Courage. And this is because he was born without arms and had a number of other medical conditions. One of his dreams was to be in the Paralympics. He's been in the headlines recently because he's been sentenced for an incident that happened last November. So Rory was threatened while walking through the woods and since that had happened, he'd taken to carrying a blade from a pair of scissors around with him. His parents were concerned about this and on the 3rd of November last year, Rory and his father Kevin had an argument about it. Kevin poked Rory in the chest with a metre-long vacuum tube during the argument Rory then used the very weapon they'd been rowing about to stab his father in the stomach. Kevin required serious medical intervention, including surgery, and Rory admitted that wounding his father was due to his actions being reckless rather than intentional. In his teenage years, Rory had become depressed. The judge said that Rory is a remarkable young man who has risen above his significant disabilities, and he noted that Rory's behaviour had changed since the incident in the woods and seems to have increased his sense of vulnerability. So he was sentenced this February to a 12-month community order with 100 hours of unpaid work and a rehabilitation course. Despite being stabbed by his son, Kevin said in a statement in court that his main concern was his son's well-being and safety. He said that the argument, and the stabbing that ensued, was regrettable, but that the incident gave him a greater insight into the difficulties his son was experiencing, which is a very noble thing to say after having been stabbed in the stomach. So that's all from February of this month, of this year rather. And um, yeah, some, some interesting cases this month. Uh, some I didn't cover because they were too dark and um, or too political or whatever. But for the next episode, please do feel free to write in. I would absolutely love for people to suggest stuff. Um, and yeah, uh, this episode is particularly short because it is only intended for Patreon supporters. However, I thought I would give the rest of you a little bit of a taste because I've been lagging on um, on putting out content recently and I apologise sincerely for that. So yeah, you can uh, become a Patreon supporter on patreon.com forward slash crimecast and um, you can email your stories into cliniccrimecast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram, cliniccrimecast. You can follow me on Twitter at cliniccrime. And we also have a merch store on Redbubble. So Redbubble and then just cliniccrimecast and see what comes up. Uh, thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.